0: Pastor Xavier Reese explains, God's love isn't void of jealousy. It requires it. They were to destroy their altars,
1: break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images. This is all idolatry. This is all sexual practices that accompany these uh, worship things. They were to worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, he said that in the second commandment. Why? Because he will allow no rivals. Because he loves you and he knows he's the best
0: thing for you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The first of the Ten Commandments teaches that there is only one God, and the second teaches that there is only one way to Him. And in the context of this, God says of Himself, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He goes on to pronounce curses and judgment upon those who would have other gods and offer sacrifices to other gods. Thinking they were getting to the one true God. But in a simple truth study titled The Broken Covenant Renewed, Pastor Xavier turns to Exodus chapter 34 as he describes the scene at Mount Sinai where the Israelites were confronted head on with their idolatry. Let's listen. Exodus 34 The Ten Commandments had been broken by the
1: people of God at the very foot of Mount Sinai as Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the tablets of stone from God. They got caught up in the idolatrous worship of the golden calf. The apostasy, judgment, and renewal is one entire section, chapter 32 to 34. Now, the people were led into this great sin by Aaron, the brother of Moses. And God, having judged the people in this apostasy, 3,000 were slain. And so what we come to now is the renewal of the covenant as Moses ascends Mount Sinai. And once again, it's revealed to us through three movements. Verse 1 through 9, you have the intercession of Moses to renew the covenant. In 10 through 28, we have the impartation to Moses of the renewed covenant. And in 29 through 35, we have the implications about Moses Through the renewed covenant. Notice first, verse 1 through 4. We have the renewed tablets of the law here. Moses receives his orders directly from God. Everything is God. He is the one calling the shots. Moses is not doing this. God commanded Moses there in verse 1 to cut two stones, uh, tables of stone, like the first ones. Uh, God would write them again, uh, the very words, as in the first tables or tablets that he gave. Uh, I will write, it says right there. And as you know, Moses had broken those in Exodus 32, 16. As he came down, saw the idolatrous worship, he cast them down, symbolizing the law had been broken before they received those tablets. Now, they had received it audibly from God. They heard him, but they had not received the tangible law, and he broke them there. Now, look at verse 2. Moses receives the appointed time. It is God who calls everything. If one thing we've learned through Exodus, God is the one who sets the program. This never changes, whether it's Israel or the church. You understand? He's the one who directs it. The problem is the church is taking everything on their own today. We're caught up with our marketing, our our intelligence, our our know-how, and we don't depend on the Word of God, on the Spirit of God. So verse 2 there, he receives the appointed time. He commanded Moses to be ready in the morning, go top of Mount Sinai. And he says, to present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And so he alone, look at verse 3. He receives instructions to come up alone. He's the only one. No man was to come up with him as before. No man was to be seen throughout the mountain. No flock or herd, in verse 3 there, was to be feeding before the mountain. This is a holy event. This has been a breach of covenant. They have broken. They have sinned against the holy God. This is not a light matter. And so in verse 4, Moses obeyed completely the words of God and he cut two tables of stone like the first ones and he rose early in the morning, went up to Mount Sinai as God commanded and he took in his hand the two tables of stone. This is Moses. He's a servant. He obeys. Now, when you get to verse 5-9 through nine, you have the renewed revelation of God to Moses. In verse 5, the presence of God appears again. The Lord descended in the cloud as before. You know that clouds often are used as evidence of the presence of God, both in the Old as well as the New Testament. Uh, Daniel seven thirteen says, I, "I was watching the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there he's speaking about the second coming. Now, Nahum the prophet is real picturesque. Nahum chapter one verse three says, "The Lord is Lord of anger and great in power." And will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Stomping for judgment. <laughs> kind of picturesque. The second coming of Christ, as you know, is described in the clouds. with Clouds and great glory. Matthew 24, 30. Mark 13, 26. Revelation 1, 7. Many other passages. Now, notice in verse 5 there that then God stood with Moses. This again is called anthropomorphism, big word, using human terms to describe the actions of God as if he had feet, as if he had a body, which we know he doesn't. He's spirit. The standing with Moses indicates the oneness of Moses with God, not having partaken of the great sin of the golden calf. He is the intercessor. He is the one that's going between the sinning people and the holy God. Notice still in 5, the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord, Yahweh. The word for name means his reputation. The name of God reveals his person, his character, his authority, his power, all that he is in fame and glory regarding his mighty acts and his deeds. And so in 6 and 7, he declares the nature of himself, the very nature of God. Now, we've seen this also in the second commandment, chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. This is a repeated phrase of his nature and his mercy and his grace throughout the scriptures. Number 14, 18, Jonah 4, 2, where Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He wanted judgment. and God says this, I am gracious, I am loving, I am merciful. Notice the Lord pass before him and proclaim the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim. The proper name of God, Yahweh, the existing one, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The verb is to be, as we saw in Exodus 3.14. The becoming one, I am who I am. The Lord Yahweh is called The tetagrammaton. It's a big word for the four consonants of this name right here because we don't know how it was written. It is Y H W H or Y H V H. We don't know if it's Yahweh or Yahweh because after the Babylonian captivity, the Jews didn't want to pronounce the name of God because it's so holy, so they left the vowels out. So we don't know how it's pronounced. Now, this was not God's doing. Because God wants us to know how to pronounce his name. To take an oath by his name. So he can hold us responsible by his name. You understand? And so, this is the nature of God. The God of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is his memorial to all generations, he told Moses in Exodus 3.15. Now, look at 6. The Lord declared his attributes, and that's what follows here. The attributes of God. Merciful. He has pity on man. He's compassionate, giving man less than he deserves. That's mercy. He's gracious. He's benevolent, loving, giving what one does not deserve. If you want to start a study on the doctrine of grace, don't do it in the New Testament. Go back to Genesis where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It begins in the Old Testament. Then he declares he's long-suffering. He's very patient. Slow to anger with sinful man. When God's patience are over, you know that no one can go any longer. The days of Noah, 120 years. They knew about God. They knew God created the world. They rejected God. Only Noah and his family were saved. Abounding in goodness. He is full of kindness, steadfast love. This is a covenant word, hesed. Abounding in truth. He is full of truth without error. With these attributes, you can't charge him. He makes no mistakes. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's merciful. And notice in verse 7, the Lord promised his perfect judgment in view of these attributes. First for salvation. Listen carefully. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sins. This means God will reject no person who repents of their perversity and rebellion if They ask God to save them. The message is clearly proclaimed from creation, from conscience, from history, from the gospel. Man can be saved regardless of what's happened if they acknowledge their sin and call upon the Lord to be saved. So all these attributes first serve for salvation, but secondly, for judgment. Listen again. By no means clearing the guilty, verse 7, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This means that no one no one that refuses to repent will ever escape judgment. They will be judged for their own sins, by their own choice. Now, today, a popular interpretation of this verse is that you as a Christian have to be exorcised of demons because your parents may have been involved in voodoo and this and that and demons, so we got to cast out those demons out of you. Baloney. It's talking about if you as a father are a non-believer and you're living on your own apart from God. And then your child is born to you and he, he receives your culture, your traditions, your way of thinking, and he lives without God. Well, that sinful lifestyle on whatever level it is, is passed down. But if that generation, the third or fourth repents, God's not going to judge them. It has nothing to do with demons or anything. It has to do with if we don't repent, then our children will be just like us and worse. But whenever a person repents, that generation is broken. And then the next generation will be the test whether it continues. I repented from all the generations of my forefathers. My children are walking with God. Now, if their children don't walk with God, they go back to the world, then it's broken back the other way. But it has nothing to do with demons. You understand? So don't let these hucksters tell you all kinds of junk. They've been watching too much MTV. Deuteronomy 24, 16 is very clear. Each person pays for their own sin. And we saw Ezekiel 18. There's no excuse. God doesn't punish you for your father, nor the reverse. Now look at verse 8 and 9. The response of Moses was reverence. Reverence. Moses immediately bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. God had been true to his word, forgiving the people who repented from the idolatry, having broken the second commandment in Exodus 32, 30, and 33. He says, Those who are on the Lord's side come, they repented. But those who did not were punished. Exodus 32, 34, and 35. So God never brings judgment before giving an opportunity to repent. Whoever tells you God's unjust, they're liars. Now, one passage in history in the Bible ever tell us that God brings judgment without warning. Always warns. 120 years is a good example in those days. Look at verse 9. Moses then made a petition to God. He petitioned on the basis of God's grace. If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord. That's always the basis, ladies and gentlemen. You don't come and say, well, because I'm so good. Then he petitions that he would dwell with them in their midst. says, Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. This is the key of life. If I don't walk with God, if he's not in my life, then I run my own life. And it doesn't take me long to mess it up. You understand? I'm lost. He petitions here, acknowledging their sinfulness, even though we are a stiff-necked people. You ever see a donkey try to be pulled when he doesn't want to? Feet are put in. Hainan goes to the ground. That's a good picture of you and I. Stiff neck. And nine, he petitions for complete forgiveness and pardon our iniquity and our sins. See, there's an acknowledgment that I have fallen short. And then he petitions for their adoption. This is incredible. And take us as your inheritance. Adopt us. Who would do that? I don't want that kid. God says, I'll take him. <laughs> I can change his heart. Moses had already been promised by Yahweh that he would go up with him in Exodus 33 from verse 17 to 23. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And then Moses asked, please show me your glory in Yahweh said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Jesus is the one who reveals the Father, John 1.18. No one else. Even in the New Testament, God dwells in an unapproachable light. No man can see him and live. And then he says... In the last portion, the Lord said, here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you on the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand. Anthropomorphism. God doesn't have a hand, but he covered him, veiled him. While I pass by, then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. Meaning, afterglow. But my face shall not be seen. And so Moses is privileged to be closer to God than the others, to see and experience things that no other did. He represents the law. This is much like a parent who is interceding on behalf of his child before the courts, that they give him one more chance. When that parent does so, he does it with compassion, with, with the motivation of love. And with the fear that they may not allow it. you understand? The high priest's office today is being executed by our great high priest, Jesus Christ, as you know. No one else. We don't deal with sacrifices anymore. Hebrews 7, 24 says, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. It means untransferable. No one else is is the high priest except for Jesus Christ. There's no more high priest of the Old Testament. Hebrews 9, 24 says, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. We have the God-man making intercession for us. The proof of Jesus is the believer's great high priest is throughout the Old Testament. From different perspectives, listen to Peter. Peter tells us that Jesus preached in 1 Peter 3.19. He preached to the spirits of the prisons that were there in Hades or Sheol and he ministered to them. He descended. Ephesians 4.8 says, he who descended, ascended and he scooped them all up. Paul tells the Colossians, Colossians 2.15, that He made an open display triumphing over them. They could not stop him. He destroyed Satan. He partook death. He destroyed him with the power of death. And he took all those who died in faith. And he took them to heaven. He's the high priest. The disciples of Jesus heard this from the very mouth of Jesus. As you know. In John 14, 6. Great scripture. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's meant that... There is no one, absolutely no one. You can't get around it. There's only one interpretation. It's not an opinion. There's no other option. He is the only one. And often as we come from a Catholic background, as I was brought up, you know, people will rationalize and say, well, we're we're not praying to idols. They're just praying for us. It's still a mediator, a mediator between two people, one. There's only one. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's the only one. No one else. Now, while we're living, I can pray for you. I can pray with you. You can pray for me. You can pray for me. But once you're dead, no one's to pray to you. That's what the Bible speaks against. You understand? Very important. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, 2 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before man, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, I will deny him. It's real simple. The Apostle Paul confirms that Jesus is the great high priest. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, five: For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ, Jesus. No other mediator can bring us to God. No other mediator can represent us before God. Only Jesus. Any other system that offers a priesthood. Or anyone to intervene for man Is rejected by God It's an abomination No one else can do it And he signed it in blood And so the intercession of Moses To renew the covenant Was accepted by God He's a mediator Notice secondly We have the impartation To Moses Of the renewed covenant 10 through 28 In 10 through 17 The renewed covenant with Israel Is given to us The declaration of the covenant By Yahweh is in ten and eleven, he says in ten. He gives us his promise, the promise of God. Listen to him. He said, "Behold, I make a covenant." The word covenant, barith, comes from the root word to cut, and they would cut an animal in two, separate the parts. The two parties would walk between it. The blood would seal that covenant. We have an example of that with Abraham in Genesis fifteen, seventeen through eighteen, and the book of Jeremiah thirty-four, eighteen and nineteen. God is the only one who made this covenant. No one else. Then he gives us the power of God. There in 10, before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord Yahweh. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So the very power of God would be a terror to those in the land. And we know this as we read the history, they were terrified when they came across Jordan, Jericho, and all the others. As a matter of fact, King Balak hired Balaam to destroy them because they were licking the dust like an ox. That's how he describes it in Numbers 22, 3, and 4. But God didn't allow Balaam to curse them because God had blessed them. Then he declares the protection of God in verse 11. He says by observing what God has commanded that day. There's the first protection. Listen, real simple. You obey, you got protection. Also by driving out the inhabitants of the land, he says their enemies: Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and all theseites. Put them out. It's judgment because of their abominable living. God was going to judge them through Israel. Not all at one time, lest the beast of the field would overpopulate and overtake them. But as they would judge the people one at a time, then the Israelites would be replaced. And so the animals would not overpopulate or outnumber the populations of people. It's very clear in the law. The balance of everything. God's in control. Look at 12 through 17. We have the declaration of the warnings in view of the covenant. Verse 12, they were to take heed to themselves to not make covenants with the inhabitants of the land where they were going lest it be a snare to their midst. That's always a problem. We live in the world but not of the world, ladies and gentlemen. The boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble. So you be careful you come out of the world. You don't think you can handle the world and still be messing with things. You get too close to fire, you get burned. Look at 13. They were to destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images. This is all idolatry. This is all sexual practices that accompany these uh, worship things. Today, that's what's happening in America. Do you you know where America is today? You understand where teens are? Sex texting, emailing themselves all naked pictures and everything while they're in school. This is a a religion, okay? God of Molech, God of sex. Baal, God of the intellect. Bacchus, the God of drunkenness, party. Look at 14. The prohibition was old. They were to worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Now he said that in the second commandment. Why? Because he will allow no rivals. Why?
0: Because he loves you and he knows he's the best thing for you. You understand? Pastor Xavier Reese making a challenge for the setting aside of the idolatrous ways of the world we find still thriving in our society, even today. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Broken Covenant Renewed. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Broken Covenant Renewed, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485.